0: Hello, beautiful. You are listening to episode 97 of the Africana Woman podcast. Chulu is my name. I am a writer, personal brand consultant, entrepreneur, and mentor. This show is the home of African women's stories. We share ideas, triumphs, challenges, and lessons from our perspective as women. Our library is a step to cementing our place in history. Her story, your story is powerful. Thank you so much for tuning in. Welcome to all the new listeners and welcome back, sis. Click the subscribe button to make sure you're always first to know when a new episode drops. And tell at least one girlfriend about the Africana Woman podcast. So we are two conversations away from the official 100th episode celebration. The celebrations have actually started online. So from 17 to 23rd September, we will be giving away amazing gifts on Instagram to you, dear listener. Make sure you're following me on Instagram at Chulu by Design. But let me tell you. I am so grateful that so many friends of Africana Women are willing to celebrate with us. Listen, I posted the first set of sponsors. Um, It was a, a graphic. And then I started getting messages, just, you know, people saying, I want to be part of this too. I want to be part of this. And if you see the posters now, Around the 100th episode, you will see that almost half of that image, half of the poster is actually sponsors and partners. How amazing is that? My heart has always been to work with female entrepreneurs. And I remember two years ago, I could not get anyone to give me the time of day (laughs) when I was saying, guys, let's come together. We're entrepreneurs. Da, da, da. People just looking at me like, who are you? (laughs) Who do you think you are? But look at this, look at how amazing it is that today we have a network. What I love most about the giveaways is how they serve your health and wellness, which is something that we're very big on here in Africana Woman, right? Everything from therapy, physical coaching, financial coaching, natural products that benefit your bodies, and so much more. Again, catch the fun on Instagram and follow me at Chulu by design. Now on the road to a hundredth episode celebration, wait, wait, wait. This week we hit 10,000 downloads. How cool is that? This this is such a magical time. How cool is that? 10,000 downloads. Thank you, friend. Thank you, my darling. You made this possible. So, we're celebrating at a live show, which is next week. Tickets are available. It's in Kabwe at Kumishi Garden. And all you have to do to get your ticket is visit com or check the show notes or message me on WhatsApp because I know a lot of you have my number anyway. <laughs> so they're only seven days. Get your tickets, sis. Like, huh? <laughs> okay. So today's episode is a round table conversation and we are discussing women who have ADHD. I strongly advise that, you know, you take a listen and you will find that you'll be surprised by some of the things that you hear today. Here goes. today we're doing something different. We are switching it up. We're having a conversation about, well, I'll tell you in a bit, but first of all, I want to introduce you to Phoebe, who is just this ball of sunshine. I absolutely love her. (laughs) And it's funny because I think we, we met online, isn't it? Like we met online. Yeah, we met online. Was it that you saw a blog or the podcast? I'm not too sure which one it is. And then we've just been chatting I think I on the blog, yeah. yeah and we've been chatting And then we met in person And she's just so amazing Like, I love her energy She's actually going to be on one of our new podcasts Coming up on the Africana Woman Network So please look out for that And it's it's a very good, very interesting story that she has to tell But today we are talking about Phoebe, help us out here
1: Okay, so we're talking about uh, ADHD It's called att- attention deficit disorder um, um, I guess normally people put it in the same Well, it's on the spectrum with like um, autism And yeah, well, people with ADHD were called neurodiverse Because um, our brains don't work in the typical way So yeah
0: Oh, okay um, Actually, yeah. I've never heard that statement Neurodiverse That's something new for me Um, so if you were talking about ADHD guys, now Phoebe reached out to me, she said that she wanted to have this conversation and I'm always up for, you know, anyone who wants to come and tell their story on the podcast. So, um, I think let's start with how long have you known you have ADHD?
1: Okay. Um, so I got my official diagnosis last year. Um, so I think for the last two years I have known, um, but I guess it wasn't so, okay. I knew, but I wasn't sure what I wanted to do about it <laughs> at first. Um, I guess there was no urgency to, um, really okay. find out.
0: So when you're saying that yeah. you knew, is it, was it like a self-diagnosis or how did you know?
1: Yes. Okay. I had done, um, I think I did a self-diagnosis, I think in 2019 online. Um, so I did that online, but I guess the thing that really made the push was my nephew, uh, because my nephew also has ADHD. Um, so as a family, I guess we're kind of trying to get him his diagnosis and stuff, but, um, I guess with African families, when you have like, um, a neurological disorder I think people really don't think it's anything much they just think it's a small problem like you can get over it like with self-help um so I guess I was going on this journey to show them that he's struggling and if I'm struggling at this level as an adult um, and I need all this accommodation and help we need to kind of get him his help so that he can function well um I think that was really why I, I wanted it I just wanted my mom and my sister to be kind of comfortable with um, the medication psychotherapy um, coaching just so that in um, additional classes for him um, so that it would give him I think a better quality of life as a teenager child going into an adult because I think if I had really gotten a diagnosis earlier I would have really changed my quality of life Um, And then also the reason why I wanted to do the podcast is a lot of women suffer in shame and silence Um, because ADHD really affects your private life a lot. I know it also messes up with work, but I think in the private sphere, it's more obvious. It really throws you off a loop. Um, So I think especially for women, I feel and uh and in you know in our African societies. For example, a lot of women with ADHD tend to be disorganized. So we are the ones with the messy, dirty houses. So everybody just says, Oh, what, what what's the natural word for a messy person? Because thought they always say, Ah, oh what you know, like this woman yeah. is such a messy, just chaotic. But it's it's nothing that you can help. And sometimes it also just overwhelming because okay, you say okay, I didn't clean my house today, and then tomorrow you still throw around things. By Thursday, the house is a mess, and the mess is just overwhelming to you. And then Trulu comes to your house, and it's a mess, and then they're like, "Oh, she just she's a terrible mother, she's a terrible." Or the, the mothers who forget their kids' plays or stuff because there's also forgetfulness, and um, so I think people either feel that you don't care you're not interested but it's things that you would be able to remember if you knew um I think for now for me especially since I got my diagnosis I don't feel guilty anymore when things happen because I'm like oh okay um especially the more I read and understand about ADHD I mean a lot of things uh people just thought I thought were my character
0: yeah but
1: um It's actually just tons of, um, uh, it's a lot of symptoms that are ADHD related.
0: Okay. So Phoebe, you need to take us back. Um, um, Pre-2019, what are the things that were happening, like specific examples that said, okay, wait a moment, maybe I need to look into doing a bit of research of why I'm behaving this and this way. You know what I mean?
1: okay um i think one of it was i wanted to i was applying for a phd and you're told i mean a phd is tough mentally and emotionally and you're told it's rigorous and then the whole application process is also supposed to be like strenuous it takes a lot of time um and so um well it was something that i also had noticed in my master coming on to my phd was how, you know, um, especially in higher education, they always tell you write every day, at least you for writing five days, like have this structure and stuff. And I noticed I tried so hard. I could never stick to schedules. I could never stick to routines. And it was just frustrating me because I actually thought I didn't have discipline. It just turns out I have a different way of structuring things out. So I think it was those kind of frustrations where I would see uh, my roommate at the time, I mean, she woke up at three every day. And um, I couldn't consistently keep up with it. <laughs> Yeah, she woke up at three to study. By the time we went to work at nine, she had studied. She had gone to the gym. I couldn't do any of those things. Like, I'd go to the gym like three, day, three days in a week. I, I, that would be my gym time. So it was things like that, that kind of, or, or time. It's either I'm early or I'm late. Um, it, I'll never be on time. I'm late or I'm early. And forgetfulness, um, I forget a lot of things, even if I write it down. Like, I'll forget it. Um, it's taken me years to remember, like, my best friend's birthdays. It's a good thing I don't have a lot of best friends, <laughs> I'd be overwhelmed. But I mean, it was those kind of things that um, I had really, I I think that's why I got into like self-help. I'd read all these self-help books and everything and I'm like, I read it, I understood it, but why can't I just do the same thing? Um, Then when I, now when I look at all some of them, I'm like, okay, I I guess I wouldn't have survived there. Yeah.
0: Okay. Thank you for that. So... You did your self-diagnosis, but what made you say, okay, I need to get an actual diagnosis? And, you know, how did you go about doing that?
1: Well, I think the one thing, um, because I think I'd worked as a PA and I worked as a teacher. So I kind of got used to making structure that would give me, like, allow me to thrive. And I think what happened was uh, lockdown. Because I was in Italy in lockdown, so we had, like, a hard lockdown. We were just... <laughs> so I totally shut down. I think all the accommodations I had made, they just went out of the window. And for some reason, I just couldn't get back into the routine. I really tried. Um, I just felt like I had just receded into a shell, and I wasn't just getting out of it. So first, I went... I think the first thing I did was I got a life coach. Okay, but then while I was going through the life coaching, um, I was also worried I was uh, slipping into a depression. So, I mean, I was in Zambia and I'm like, okay, so I'm in a foreign country and then I'm also slipping into a depression. So that's why I actually went to the clinic um, because I just wanted to make sure um, I wasn't depressed and if I was just to deal with the depression. Um, So then, okay, we actually discovered I had burnout. Um, then I decided, okay, since I have burned out and I have the time and I'm here, I might as well just, um, I mean, i always, I'll, oh, because before I guess, um, I used to use anxiety as the coping mechanism. So let's say if I had an exam, um, or like, okay, for like most higher education, it's a paper. So if it's like two weeks before, then I'm not sleeping, I'm not doing everything. And then I'll submit it on time. Um, so I never used to miss deadlines but in the PhD I started missing deadlines but the thing that used to scare me I think that started bothering me was I'd miss a deadline and I wouldn't care like I wouldn't be stressed I wouldn't be like I'd just be like I missed it so what they're gonna die life goes on and then I was like this is a PhD so <laughs> I need to um I think that was the thing that scared me I think I had missed an exam Yeah. So I was like, okay, am I going to flunk out of this PhD? Because I like finishing things I started Um, and I knew the ADHD was a factor. Um, I had really tried not to address it. But then I thought if I get the ADHD check, then I can just progress with work in my life. So, yeah.
0: Okay, so we actually have another special guest. Her name is Emily Oputa, and she is a resident psychologist at Renaissance, I believe. So, Emily, hi. Hi, how are you? Good, good. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Okay, so I wanted to find out how common is ADHD in women?
2: Okay. Okay. So That one is a bit of a challenge to answer because traditionally, well, research is now pointing that a lot of women go underdiagnosed or are only diagnosed later on in life. So to every woman that has ADHD or every child, a female child who has ADHD, there's three So it's a one-to-three ratio, a three-to-one ratio with guys being um, um, more likely. It's more prevalent in guys. But like I said, it's quite hard to actually have a concrete answer as to what the prevalence rate is because girls and ladies and women are Highly missed, uh, not actually misdiagnosed. You find that um, only after ruling out depression and bipolar um, and even anxiety and sometimes psychotic features or psychotic episodes, that's when you they will arrive at um, the diagnosis of ADHD. And there's a couple of reasons for it. Number one is really that. So the three forms of ADHD. There's the inattention aspect. Then there's the Hyperactivity and and the impulsivity aspect, or a combination of both. So, what researchers are starting to find out is that women are more likely to have the women and girls are more likely to have the inattention one, um, and with that one, the the behaviors are not as overt as what you would find with the hyperactivity. Um, category of ADHD. So then it's almost just put down to actually she's, she's just forgetful or she's just lazy. Whereas if she was jumping up and down, you know, the stereotypical um, idea of what ADHD is, uh, that, that idea is more likely to fall within the male category. So they would get the diagnosis.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're so right. When I think when people have a mental image of what ADHD, they're thinking like a child bouncing off the wall, like just pop, 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 you know what I
2: mean? Just to clarify, so it's roughly about, let's say 4% of the general population will oh. have ADHD. But within that 4%, for every... Female that's diagnosed with um, ADHD. There are three males, so it's a three to one ratio. Oh, okay. Um, but again, it's really it's so in as in addition to it being underdiagnosed and women in the black population as well is highly underdiagnosed. Um, so concrete prevalence rates in our society, I, I do believe it's who are probably under under reporting i do believe there are a lot of people who are you know falling through the cracks so it might be even higher in in our population
0: Yeah. yeah what would you recommend in terms of you know giving advice to somebody who thinks that okay you know what maybe i need to um go and get some sort of diagnosis because you know when you're talking about all of the other <laughs> presenting factors that, you know, you have to go through, whether it's depression, um, all these other things, before we actually get to that, you know, final diagnosis. Already, as in African, there's that, that thing of, ah, you know, like therapy, like go to a, a hospital, like, you know, like go to some place that, the way I have to tell people my business, like, you know, what stays in the house stays in the house. You know, it It seems like there's a lot to, there's a lot that a person would have to go through and to be persistent with in terms of actually getting that final diagnosis. So like in Phoebe's case, um like she mentioned that she was into self-help and then you know i think you know self-development so self-development is one of those things that leaves you a bit more open to doing things like therapy you know um but then when you're coming from a space where you people will look at you like you've got horns on your head because you decided that oh let me go to a psychological clinic it's like are you okay (laughs) you know but anyway what are your thoughts on that
2: so to begin with, I will say this: I do think there needs to be a lot of work and uh, awareness campaigns. We need to demystify what happens at a, at a, a private or even a, a government-owned um, mental health service. We're not as bad as, as the media paints us <laughs> to be. Um, and actually, what I always say is that you are better off going, spending an hour out of your week to be told and have just to be told that actually you're fine rather than you sitting um, at home, wondering what's wrong with you, (laughs) wondering why isn't this working? Why can't I do uh, this and uh, this or that? I do believe um, the benefits of actually just having a consultation far, far outweigh the discomfort of actually going there and, like I said, worst case scenario, you are told that there's nothing wrong with you and, no. you know, you keep it, you keep it stepping. But, um, yeah, I would say first step, just trying to demystify uh, mental health services. But also what you find uh, in the case of ADHD, especially in women, is that because of the societal constructs, uh, a societal constructs surrounding what female and gender roles are, In the younger ages, girls are likely, uh, very well, uh, they do quite a good job at masking the symptoms. But (laughs) with more responsibility, it becomes a bit too hard to mask um, the symptoms. Um, (laughs) It's it's harder to, to... be on top of everything, you know, the forgetfulness is, is becoming a lot more of a challenge. Um, being just dis- easily distracted is being, is becoming a lot more of a challenge with increasing, um, you know, responsibilities. So chances are the person will, um, have a moment where these symptoms are interfering with the day to day life, whether that is on the work front, relationship, you name it is starting to interfere with the day-to-day life. So in that situation, uh, I still would encourage you to speak to someone. Uh, again, worst case scenario, you would have wasted an hour, but um, potentially you would ha- you would have been, you would have placed yourself in a situation where you can get the help that you need. Forgetfulness, inattention, just being impulsive is starting to, to have an impact on your day-to-day ability to do things. Then I would just suggest... Um, having at least one consultation um with a mental health practice. yeah and i think i think i like what emily
1: said i think um we have a bad a uh, uh, a negative perception about um going to like seeing a, uh, yeah like therapy especially um if it's mental we have this thing that um it shows that you're a failure um, or it's actually really nice. I think I, I remember, I think my first session I got home and I felt really, really like it was like you had like a lot of burdens and then they were kind of, um, taken off. And for me, it's also just given me a lot of coping strategy. Um, um, okay. Now I think I just go once a month. Um, but even that one session really sets me up for the month or, um it it's a it's a worth investment. I know that it's not cheap, uh, especially if you don't have like medical aid and stuff. I think the other issue, especially in our communities about access um and affordability um it's not cheap, but if you can afford it, I always say go go for it
0: so you know one of the things that I was just thinking about it's <laughs> i think it's it's also that this thing in our mind where we kind of separate you know, mental health services, services that you'd go to, like in a hospital and things like that. Like you can go to your supervisor very easily and say, listen, I'm going to take time off. I'm going to the dentist. I'm going to, you know, whatever appointment, but to actually walk up and say, I need time off to, you know, go and get some mental health services. it's, It's like, it's like we've separated that they're, they're both, medical services, you know what I mean? But I I think somehow in Mm -hmm. our mind, we don't really connect it that way. I just find it interesting because I know that's definitely come up for me (laughs) in the past. I'm very curious as to what type of, like Phoebe, what type of um, coping mechanisms have you found most beneficial? Obviously, you know, people have different ways that or things that would work for them that would work you know it's an individual thing but i just wanted to hear your experience
1: um okay so i guess for me what um, i'm doing right now is i am doing psychotherapy and then i'm also on medication um so adhd medication okay for me um one thing that the medication has really helped me with is um impulse control so like Emily was talking about being impulsive. I mean, everybody says I'm impulsive, but um, if you have ADHD and you're impulsive, it's like, it's a lot. It can go from here to there, Um, especially for me, I think, because you tend to be irritable. So sometimes if you really act on how irritable you feel, you can either really be mean to people or... So I think for me, it helped me just with the kind of being calm. Well, in UNS, I was working in an office environment. So I was sharing an office with other people. So um, when you have ADHD, you have you are easily distracted. I always give this example. When you have ADHD, it's like you're using the internet with um, no ad block. So ads just keep popping up. And So if somebody's talking behind you, then you're listening to the conversation. You're not typing your document. Uh, the aircon is leaking. You can hear that leak and then... It kind of messes everything up. Um, But when I'm on my medication, then I'm able to kind of focus, okay? Um, Even if I stray, I still come back. Because normally if I go off track, then I'm doing whatever else I'm doing now, forgetting what I was supposed to do. Then hours later, it's like, oh, I was was writing a document. Then I have to come back. But it's like three hours later. So for me, the medication has helped me with that. And then with sleep, um, especially because... Um, oh, okay. Well, because sleep is not really stimulating. And when you have ADHD, your brain kind of likes stuff that's stimulating. So sleep is kind of boring. So your body's like, Nah, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> so what happens is you sleep really late and then you wake up really late. You have a hard time waking up and then you have a hard time going to sleep. Um, So since I've been on medication, um, I I fall asleep at night and then I wake up in the morning like it doesn't because before what would happen is my brain would be awake, but my body wouldn't be. So I'd be like, okay, time to get out of bed. Let's go. Let's go. But you're still not going. (laughs) Um, So that's kind of helped me a lot. And then I think just also one thing I've learned to do is also accept things that I can't change. Because you have to accept how um, the symptoms manifest in your life. So once you've accepted that this is what happens, like I forget a lot. So that means I have to make reminders and stuff. And even if you've switched off the reminder and you still forget, um, it helps you kind of forgive yourself and not be so hard on. How could you forget? Um, I think it's just for me, it's helped me be kinder to myself. So I'm not that negative voice yeah, for myself.
0: Emily, I would like to know, just for clarification's sake, we've heard about, you know, the forgetfulness, the, the attention, and then hyperactivity or impulsiveness, as you know, three things that can present for your ADHD. Now, I want to know exactly what does it mean to be impulsive? What does it mean to be hyperactive? Like, uh, I understand the attention. So that one's like the forgetfulness. But just give us uh, a bit more information about the impulsive and the hyperactivity.
2: Okay. So um, with the hyperactive impulsive presentation, you're seeing things like being and see challenges with the uh, sitting still you know sometimes in an attempt to manage what's going on they're fidgeting with their hands um to try and you know to be present um challenges with uh, with turn taking so for example um person may just in the mid conversation just you know start talking um talking over people, sometimes doing things that are quite impulsive, whether that's just saying, hey, I want to do this, I'll do it, right? Um, <laughs> and then it's also things such as, and this is maybe the stereotypical hyperactivity that you see in children, running quite a bit, ball of energy, really just going on and on and on, really, Um But yeah, that's more so the 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 hyperactive, impulsive presentation. So generally, uh, challenges with being still for long, um, turn taking, um, you know, just quite that uh, what what can the spontaneousness, you know, the impulsivity aspect of it. Um, Yes, that's generally how you can describe it.
0: Okay. So then my follow-up question to that is around just a, I guess, a description when it comes to, you know, the coping mechanisms. With um, Phoebe, she's talked about psychotherapy. She's talked about medication. Is there anything else that could be a coping mechanism? And what exactly is psychotherapy?
2: Okay. So yes, there's in addition to the medication and this, the psychotherapy there's things like coaching which you know with the the, the, the wealth of research that 's being done, you know there 's a lot of evidence to show that having some form of mentorship, especially if you can relate to that person, um, whether that 's the person who themselves has um, ADhd that in itself is very effective at uh, getting a client or a person to to learn effective ways of managing their condition, so coaching is a, is another quite an important aspect to managing managing um, ADHD, but also lifestyle changes. Um, so whether that's through behavior change behavior change interventions through a health psychologist or whether you go to a behavioral health um, clinic, whatever it, whatever it may be, but behave, uh, having healthy behaviors, so managing what you're eating, working on the sleep, trying to try and minimize environmental um, mod- or try to modify the environment as much as you can, um, those are some of the things that are really important when it comes to managing um, ADHD. So psychotherapy is a form of therapy that is primarily talk therapy. So it's what you'd think of when you think of counseling, right? Um, Now, when it comes to younger children, you'd also have what we call behavioral therapy, where you're basically trying to manage those symptoms by changing behaviors uh, which you'd also see that behavior change is also an aspect of psychotherapy Uh, when it comes to adhd what generally happens is that you are with with your client you're working collaboratively to to manage those symptoms whether it's social social goals social skills Problem-solving, when it comes to um, ADHD, we've already highlighted that there's, a, there's an impulsivity aspect to it. So, you know, um, problem-solving and decision-making techniques can be done through psychotherapy. Um, you'd also be looking at ways of just, I think Phoebe touched on it as well, just being able to accept what uh, ADHD um, looks like for you. Yeah, so that's what psychotherapy is. It's generally quite structured. You're working towards clearly defined goals. You're working as a team, really. Um, yeah. Okay. Generally so, talking.
0: You know what's interesting about
2: this? One?
1: When she said healthy accommodations, I thought she was going to talk about the sugar. I was like, I don't talk like about the sugar, not the sugar. <laughs>
0: So well, you're yeah, not allowed. To okay. you. not Allowed, like it's uh, recommended
1: that you should uh, take a lot no. of sugar. No. There is a stereotype that hyperactive kids uh, who have ADHD are hyperactive because of the excessive uh, sugar intake. Okay. Um. So they so they always say to parents, "I don't give them too many sweet things. Um, it's it's bad for you." um uh, But I've actually discovered as an adult that um. Okay, so when you have ADHD, you have a short of of dopamine. Dopamine is kind of um. Emily will explain dopamine <laughs> and how it works. Sometimes. It's like a a reward system, right? So I've discovered that um, when I eat um sweet things, it gives me, it puts me like in a good mood, so I would actually get work done. Um, so most of the time, but oh, well, it's also. But that's how people with ADHD also end up having with um, addictions to, like, alcohol um, and and coffee. Because I guess it gets you that dopamine. It gets you, so people kind of overuse it or that we end up having. Oh, well, the impulse control, like, you go to get a grab of uh, some chips, right? You just want to have a few. Then you end up eating the whole packet. That's the impulse control. <laughs> yeah, like, where did the whole packet go? <laughs> i've um, done too many times it's, not to know it's,
0: yeah you know some of these symptoms that you're saying it's really making me wonder about myself hey Cause i'm sitting here going oh gosh oh no but the thing is
1: you probably do it once in a while and i probably do it every other day
0: or um does someone like are you sure sis like it's once yeah. in a while <laughs> yeah no no that, that's why i'm saying um
1: <laughs> or like what you know like hyperactive for example when i was a child i was really hyperactive but then as an adult my mind is the one that's hyperactive so like you're looking at me i'm just looking like calm but my mind's racing like it's 200 thoughts at the same time it's um so sometimes um the presentation is you might look at me and i look calm but then I guess a lot of people who know me have always kind of visited or always talked with my hands. So I think people just think, oh, you're so animated. Oh, you're so energetic. <laughs> so sometimes that you so, kind of... Yeah, argue. I know,
0: you know, I've spoken to people who've had a diagnosis of, um, let's say, bipolar. Um, and then when they take medication, it they describe it as feeling feeling cloudy like their mind feels cloudy you know what I mean so then some people um, decide that they would rather not be on the medication and this is for a diagnosis of bipolar so I'm just wondering is it something similar where you I mean when you take the medication you said that it's helped you just walk us through that oh well um, I think
1: a lot of things that I've heard especially with people with ADHD it's how you're how your treatment is administered to you. So here, um, they they started me at the lowest possible um, dosage and then they just kept on taking it up. But what happens is some people are given like a really high dosage. So it's really, really high um, and it messes up with like a lot of your system. I know a lot of people who were on medication for like very short periods of time because and they thought it didn't work because they were given really high doses um but um yeah i was talking i was on a podcast in canada i think a few weeks back um the guy was talking about how he was started on really high um dosage so he actually thought medication didn't work but he got a new doctor last year and they started him like on a low dosage and then they've been taking it up and he was saying okay now i feel the difference because for me i think the it was i i remember the first time i took my medication um I came to work. um, I share an office with two people. So before whatever the person did, like they opened their laptop, whatever, it would just be, I could just, I could see it and I'd respond to it. It's either you get irritated or you're like, why, you know? Um, And that day I came in, I greeted everybody, started working. Like they were doing their stuff. I would notice they're doing it, but it wouldn't be, I wouldn't just be constantly aware of that they're doing it. And then um, it's getting to me that I'm not working. Um, I think for me, that was it. And then just being able to, okay, let's say if I, I get distracted, I'm still able to go back to a thought. Um, having ADHD and you have to write is one of the worst things ever because, um, you have a thought in your mind, you start writing it down. By the time you're mid sentence, you forgot the last part of the sentence. <laughs> imagine how painful that is to write because you're like, oh my goodness. So then you have to go to the source text to read it to get the intuition and then you go back. So sometimes for me, um, I mean, I think that's why a lot of um, kids with ADHD don't do well with languages. Um, it's because um, thinking and writing isn't as easy as most people. Well, for me, um, actually when I write my... <laughs> My papers, is a very long thing, because what I'll do is I'll read, take notes, and then from those notes, I'll start writing by hand and then type it out because I can't think and type at the same time. It's either I'm typing or I'm thinking. Um, and you probably just do it without, you can just type and write. Um, that's why you'll find a lot of kids don't finish their homework because it takes so much time. I think that's something that we also don't do not Uh, talk about. I think that's why I enjoy teaching kids, because I kind of understood that struggle.
0: That's interesting. That's actually interesting. Emily, you know, I want to come back to you. What I find interesting about the story that we're sharing here is that, you know, Phoebe got her diagnosis from Zambia, and in my experience, to be very, very (laughs) honest and candid, is that you know, there's this sort of like uh, a I don't know, stereotype, whatever you want to call it, where people feel that, um, you know, institutions in Zambia, in Africa, are not able to diagnose, you know, such things. So I have seen, you know, where people, let's say, especially when it's like students that have gone to study abroad, they have Mm -hmm. some sort of mental health breakdown, um, you know, in whichever country, but then the family, instead of, bringing that child back here they're like no let's just leave the child there because they will get diagnosed there and we cannot bring them back here you know because then they won't get the help that they need and then this child is in crisis in a foreign country yeah. do, 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 so on, so on. but i mean what i'm trying to say is that there's this stereotype that you know um a diagnosis like ADHD, bipolar, whatever it is, is not possible in Zambia. Now, obviously you are working in a um, in a private institution, but I just wanted to get your thoughts around, you know, how people can feel empowered that they there are options.
2: Yeah. Okay. So I think it all starts with awareness. I don't, so when you... Yeah. Only too recently, really, um, has the conversation around mental health and wellness in Zambia been brought to the table. When you say mental health, the first place you think of is Chinama. <laughs> and even with that, it's just very not not so great pictures being painted. So it begins with the awareness. I will say that, yeah, um, there's not as many trained um, or fully qualified mental health practitioners to meet the need of of what's going on in Zambia, really. But they are trained practitioners. You've got people who are consultants in mental health, but it starts from their awareness of the options, having conversations such as this, knowing that actually mental health uh, can look like being agitated and um, irritable, and just being forgetful, not being able to, to, to stay on task. Um, there's a lot to mental health than just what we associate with China, Chinama. Mm-hmm. So I agree that there is that stereotype that, the, or rather there's the belief, um, that, you know, you can't get the good, the, that quality mental health, um, uh, care in Zambia the same way you would if in the West or anywhere else. But, uh, I do think we do need to have such conversations, raise that awareness, make people aware that there are options. And granted, um, I think our inpatient services, that we could do a lot better with that when it comes to mental health, but there are options even at that. And you will be getting quality care because ultimately um, mental health um, has rules and guidelines that don't, change based on, um, where you are at. Presentations might, because there's a societal, um, aspect to it, um, contextual, um, to a certain degree, but, um, the basics or, or the core of it is still the same.
1: Well, I think I wanted to also just come in on saying, you know, I think the one thing that we don't um, underestimate is also here, like through the private uh, health care, it's accessible. Like, um, I, I I mean, I wanted my diagnosis and I got it within, I think I just got an appointment like two or three weeks later. You know how long people have to wait for a diagnosis? In the UK, yes. I think it's almost 12 months. In the States, right. it's between 12, six to 12 months. Just to get a sure. diagnosis. it's Canada. like a long waiting list.
0: Canada. Yes, obviously. and Canada
1: also has a long waiting list. So, um, so, I mean, I guess like in, 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 in our countries, we're, we're, lucky that through the private, um, system, you can get access is easier. I mean, you, you get a diagnosis faster. You get an appointment and then it's done. You don't have to wait months expensive yes um I guess you have to do through medical well I mean I didn't really have a medical aid I was just using my stipend but I mean um it's still affordable in that term medication is a bit pricey medication is pricey (laughs) but I mean it's still a stepping stone um but in terms of access I think it's just um it's more of awareness because if you actually look Lusaka has a lot of private clinics i think somebody tweeted a few on twitter i think somebody was trying to get a diagnosis for their son or something on twitter i saw it on okay i responded first and then i think two or three other people there were like five or six clinics um so i mean they are the services are there i think we just see them um
0: and we just you see it and you're like okay it's not my so basically guys if you're listening the very least you can do is just walk in and ask and <laughs> you've seen it, you've driven by it, you know, walk in and ask. It doesn't hurt, it won't kill you. No one will, will do anything to you, like, oh, they saw you walking in there. But um Well, I'm I think curious. the other thing that I've enjoyed also
1: about here is um I think sometimes we talk about representation, but we don't understand like when your psychotherapist is African and has the same background with you, like they understand the cultural dynamics of it, because I think I've had, um, I've had psychotherapists where people are for it. So I mean, when you still have to explain your cultural dynamic, sometimes they don't even get it. They're just shocked by it. You're like, <laughs> so I think that's one thing I've really appreciated here. Um, it's just the representation of, yeah, walking in and everybody, you don't have to explain that cultural factor of it. Um, I think that's the one thing that's given me a lot of peace and yeah, I've just enjoyed the process. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for um, sharing that. So I'm curious, Phoebe, now that you have a diagnosis, is this something that you feel you have to explain to people? You know what I mean? 'Cause I feel like, you know, there are certain things that um which I'm just like, why is it even anyone's business? But anyway, <laughs> you know, people get different diagnoses and then they're like, Oh, they'll come and say, No, I've got this, I've got that. But is it something that you feel um you have to share in your your social circles, especially let's say closer? Okay,
1: I think circles. the people I've shared it with most are like my like my inner like my my circle of girlfriends, well, because it helps um okay, so for example, um there's this, we use the word object permanence, okay, I'm gonna give the example of babies, you know when the babies are like between six is it six and um six months and a year, you give them something, they're holding it, and you take it away, um, let's say they're playing with a remote and you're- re- you're afraid they're gonna break it, so when you take it away, they kind of forget that it's there, so they don't even cry for it. OK, so sometimes I buy things and I forget that I have them like I buy um <laughs> nail polish remover um, and maybe I put it in a drawer so I don't see it. So I'll go buy another one. And when I put it in, I'm like, oh, I had a nail polish remover. So it's kind of those things that um, either you haven't seen somebody in a long time and you still don't call them. But it's just that you've forgotten. Like, but if you're scrolling in your WhatsApp contact list, you're like, oh, I haven't spoken to this person in a long time. Um, I think I did that for my close group of friends just to explain to them that, you know, sometimes it's not like I'm not talking to you or I'm ignoring you. It's just that um, if we don't keep it going and then it it, it, it fizzles off, it, it might just go away. Um, yeah. And then my family, too, I guess. Yeah, I just wanted to give my family just an understanding. My mom, I wasn't too sure if she was going to understand. I mean, she works in a healthcare. Well, you know, African parents, they'll work at a hospital, even in a mental hospital. And their child will be depressed and they won't see it. Because <laughs> no, I have friends whose parents are like um, psychiatrists and they like we go through like bipolar and everything. And then you're dealing with your parents and they just don't get it. And you're frustrated, like you're a professional. How are you not getting it? Is it because I'm your child? You're not used to the presentation at home? Um, I guess that was the one thing I... Oh, well, my main concern with my mom was the medication because um, the medication is... Okay, if you're taking it and you don't have ADHD, it's addictive. I forget to take my medication. So I knew from a pharmacy perspective, because she's a pharmacy technician, so I knew she was going to... Her, she was probably just going to be, it's addictive substances. I don't want you to be an addict. I knew she was going to come from that perspective. So that was my reluctance to tell her that I was on medication. Uh, but actually now she knows and she's okay. Uh, it took a while. Well, actually, she, she was okay. Um, yeah. So I tell people who I feel it's who I am comfortable with. I don't really think you have to tell
0: people if you don't want to. Emily what's on the 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 topic of medication there's a lot of people and sort of like so there's sort of like this movement towards like natural health options solutions you know what i mean mm-hmm. where people have this resistance to the pill and the medications and things like that what would your advice be to somebody who has who is resisting you know, has those reservations. That's a better way to put it. Has reservations about taking um like medication and would rather do something that's more um is it holistic? What's the word?
2: Yeah, holistic, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So my advice would be before you completely rule it out, express those concerns um to the person who who gave you a prescription if you're given a prescription? They are trained to handle those concerns because your concerns are valued, right? (laughs) Um, But also just remembering that part of holistic wellness is your physical aspect, um, your physical wellness and the physical wellness is, is really, or the physical, or the biological aspect of your holistic wellness is really what the medication is trying to address. So it's not saying that you can't do it. <laughs> it's saying that maybe this could help you a little bit while you focus on the other aspects of you, the other facets to you. Um, I think it's Quite rare, and I'm happy to be corrected or be challenged. <laughs> it's rare for um, a mental health practitioner to only prescribe medication. It's usually medication in combination with something else that requires some sort of self-management. So um, whether that's lifestyle changes, whether that's psychotherapy, it's highly unlikely that it would just be focused on on. on and again, like i said i'm happy to be <laughs> to be corrected <laughs> and to be challenged uh, on that because we do understand that really um, your mental health is not just the biology or the genetics um, it's a lot of other things, but sometimes for you to be operating at optimum, um, sometimes you do need that medication or at least you do need to consider taking that medication and if after expressing your concerns and uh, having a chat with the psychiatrist you still feel like that's not what you want then you know we have to respect that autonomy so no one will force you to take the medication we will suggest and we'll be happy to have a chat but ultimately okay uh
0: as we wind down what are your your closing remarks i guess in terms of one women being um, open to, you know, to learning more about ADHD and um, I guess accessing some sort of help.
2: Okay. So I will say this right now, there's a lot of conversation going on around mental health and wellness and you lose nothing by just joining the conversation. Um, You, can either leave there having gotten clarity on what you may be going through, but also just broadening um, your understanding of other people's challenges. And just by doing that, being a better support system to people who may be going through similar challenges, because the truth of the matter is we are affected by mental health challenges one way or another, whether it's personally or through how we support people. Um, So definitely have those conversations Ask those questions. <laughs> Engage in, you know, healthy debate should you wish to, but ultimately raise the awareness because it starts with the awareness that uh, with regards to closing that gap between the male um, being diagnosed on time or in early childhood versus the females being um, diagnosed later on. Yeah, it's more likely to happen for the female population. So have those conversations, raise that awareness. Um, You know, that's part of us closing that gap. And then seek help. Just seek help, have a chat with a practitioner. Um, Again, you lose nothing um, by seeking help and really, uh, you know, I know there's the misconception that you seeking help, especially when it comes to therapy or mental health services is a sign of weakness. But I, I strongly challenge that view because it's easier to pretend that you have it all together than, you know, be vulnerable and say, look, I need some help and I'm willing to, to hear how you can help me. So in actual sense, you seeking help is a sign of strength. So be open to that as well. Yeah.
0: So Phoebe, being on the other, on the other side, so, you know, first you were not diagnosed, then you did your self-diagnosis and now you, uh, have sought the help you, you know, you are doing a combination of coping, um, me- mechanisms. And as you mentioned, you've, you know, you started off, I guess, more frequently, and now you're down to once a month when it comes to the psychotherapy. Um, but, On your end, just tell us about how you feel at this moment. Like, do you feel supported in your community, at work? Like, what is it being on the other end now? What is it like?
1: Well, I think one thing that I want to say is I think um, our culture teaches women to take care of everybody else. You know, you take care of their kids, siblings, parents, husbands. Um, But I think we're not really taught to take care of ourselves. So a lot of um, the we just even women when they're sick, I mean, most of the time you'd rather take your child to the doctor or my child needs to go to school. Um, I think the first one is self-care. Just take care of you first. Um, For me, therapy was actually a form of self-care I'd never really considered before. And I think it's a really good one because. Um, you really feel it you feel supported you feel confident like right now um, I'm not saying my life is perfect but I have um, strategies and ways to deal with it um, that make that improve my quality of life which I mean if you look at my quality of life last year and now like this year has in terms of mental health has been really good Um, so I think it's a worth investment and I think just we need to be to pay more attention to ourselves as women. Um, I know like I see now a lot on social media how people just talk about whether being a wife or a mother, you're always tired and it's so overwhelming. And we've gotten used to that narrative. And that's really bad for your health physically and mentally. And sometimes it also just perpetuates the suffering that if you really either are dealing with ADHD and you're not managing with your kids or you're autistic and the overstimulation of the kids and the noise is a lot. Um, but just because we're told that it's part of the process, I think that's why we don't, um, seek help. Um, I think, and that's why I want to do this, that, um, if you're really struggling, um, whether, because, you know, it's it's just like how cleaning sounds like a simple thing to, to someone, um, and I still every time watch cleaning videos from YouTube, how to clean your room. Because it's not about starting. It's just when you have ADHD, you have a difficult time breaking down a big task into smaller manageable pieces. Um, so I think it's just for people, to, uh, for especially women, to say if you're struggling, go to a clinic or just to someone. Um, I think we're just used to talking to friends. I mean, talking to friends is good, but um, talking to a professional does you a lot
0: more. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Phoebe. I think we have all learned a lot (laughs) about ADHD and this has been a very, very informative uh, conversation and thank you. So thank you for your time. The whole time I was listening to this conversation, I was thinking around how I am sure that you can recognize some of the symptoms we discussed in certain family members or friends. And we always chalk it down to, oh, they're so messy, they're disorganized. How difficult can it be to clean up? Turns out for some people, it is actually very difficult. As Emily said, in African women, ADHD is underdiagnosed. Therefore, having awareness and empathy is very important. And let me tell you guys, the wait for medical appointments in some of these Western countries really is long. Please do not be fooled by the fancy medical facilities you see on TV or these medical shows you like to watch. Those are for the privileged few. I'm talking about six months, 10 months, 12 months wait. It is ridiculous to me. You could probably fly home, get a diagnosis from a private facility, and fly back within a month. Let your dollar work. Hey, I beg. One last thing that pains me are the families that abandon their children in foreign lands because they will get better care there, in air quotes. For me, it's the same thing as leaving a baby in a bag in some old building. You don't know whether that child will survive. You don't know whether the facility will treat your child fairly because of the color of their skin. You don't know what your child has to do to survive just to keep off the streets. It is hard enough trying to make it out there and you have all of your faculties. But how much harder is it for someone who has a neurological disorder to stay alive When they're alone in a foreign country and family back home are pretending they don't exist. Change your ways, I beg. So, as Africana Woman, we give our guests their roses right now. Please find Phoebe on Instagram at Mokadi Ramaloko. Take a screenshot of the episode and tag us. We want to keep the conversation going. Remember this week, the whole of this week, and I hope you're listening. If you're listening between 17 to 23rd September, we have giveaways, so many giveaways on Instagram. So please find me, right? Now, the mission of Africana Woman has always been to tell more African women's stories. And one of the ways that we're doing this is by helping you start your own podcast, if you have a burning idea and you're interested in launching a podcast, but you don't know where to start from, contact us at africanawoman at gmail.com. Your story is important. Now my playground is Instagram. Find me at chulubydesign, Design. Tag me, tell your friends about the Africana Woman podcast. And again, leave a review, especially on Apple Podcasts, because that helps us spread the word about this show to African sisters out there. So talk to you soon. This has been a production of Africana Woman Media.